0: have a two-part message this morning on Mother's Day. I know we've been studying the book of Daniel and we'll get back into that next week. But today I want to talk to you, uh, since it's Mother's Day, about mothers. Uh, This is the first Mother's Day in my life that I have not had my mother. My mother, as you know, passed away in February. She was uh, 98 years old and uh, I was privileged to have her for 81 years. That's my birth. I'm so how I am, and I'm privileged to have a mother for 81 years. Now, that's, that's remarkable. Not everybody can say that, and I'm aware of that, and so I have been privileged to have, to have had my mom for 81 years. I'll talk about her a little further on into our Bible lesson and just leave a few things with you that I appreciate about her, appreciated about her, and so forth, and some things that uh, sort of taught me some lessons along the way. <clears throat> But I want to uh, talk to you from the Word of God to begin here, and I want you to turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel, the very first uh, first verse in the book of 1 Samuel. And uh, there's a series of books in the Bible. They start with Samuel, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. And it goes through some very interesting periods of time in Israel, but it all started right here with this first Samuel. Amen. And I'm going to read these verses to you. And it says, Now there was a certain man in Ramoth, and I won't give you the name. was It was in Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah. Elkanah. The, the prefix el or the suffix el always referred to God. It means the word God, but it means just God as a as a prefix or a surfix, or, or as a, as we'd call a little g, G O D, just L. L. Uh, the name for God of the Hebrews was Elohim, Elohim meaning, meaning God is the God of all gods. And it goes on to say here that his name is Elohim, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, was, uh, was Elkanah. And then it goes on to say in verse two, and he had two wives. Notice there's two wives, the name of one of was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. Uh, Jesus once said they said to him why is it that the Lord allowed some of the uh, our fathers in the Old Testament to have multiple wives he said in the beginning was not so but he said because of the hardness of your hearts God allowed it but in the beginning he said God made male and female there is a male and female so every man is to have his own wife as Paul wrote later in the 7th chapter of 1st Corinthians every man to have his Every man is to have his own wife and every woman is to have her own husband. Praise the Lord. So not multiple wives. We don't believe in that. Sometimes somebody comes up and, oh, we believe in having, you know, as many wives as you want and all of that. But that's not Bible. That's not Bible. But in the Old Testament, it was permitted. And the Bible says God did it because of the hardness of their hearts. So in this case, Elkanah had two wives. One was named Hannah and one was named Penina. And uh, Penina had children. I'm reading in verse 2 here. Uh, But Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Shiloh was where the tabernacle was and there was no temple built at this time. There had been no kings at this time. There had been no uh, Saul. There had been no David. There had been no no Solomon. This was all before that. And uh, this is interesting because It was at a time when Israel was rocking along quite smoothly, but they were headed for troubled waters. And God knew that, and God was preparing them for what they were going to go through. It's amazing how God will prepare us for things coming, folks. He knows what's ahead, and he will prepare us for those things. And he goes on to say here, I'm jumping down to verse 6 to save time here. Uh, Let me just read verse 3 here. And he goes on to say here, and this man went up out of his city uh, yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord the host in Shiloh. I mentioned that. And then verse 6, and her adversary, this is Hannah now. Hannah said that her adversary was Penina, the other wife. Her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. She had no children. And I'm, this is a Mother's Day message I'm giving you here today. And I'm going to talk to you upon the heart of a mother. The heart of a mother. God bless you mothers. The older I get, the more I appreciate mothers. God bless them. And he goes on to say here, uh, makes her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. Verse 7, and as she did so year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her, just agitated, kept on after her, Therefore, she wept and did not eat. So Hannah was frustrated. <clears throat> she had no children. Penina had children, sons and daughters, and she would agitate this other wife and just carry on with her and just make her humiliate her, intimidate her because she had no children. And uh, it goes on to say here that, uh, that finally, uh, Hannah, look at verse 9, I'm saving time here. So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, after they had drunk. Now, Eli the priest, now he was the high priest, Eli, and Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And these two sons of his were just really rascals. It's the only way I know how to describe it. They were just rascals. They were gradually drifting away from the teachings of the word of God and from the law of the Lord. And so these two sons were Really bringing a bad element on the priesthood. But Eli himself was a good man. But he was probably a father that just didn't correct him. And he let things go and didn't, didn't keep his hand on the situation. So it says here in verse uh, 9. So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat uh, by a post of the temple. Now, the temple here was actually the tabernacle. There was no temple at the time. Uh, at the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sword. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man child. And she asked for a boy baby. This is interesting. Then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall no razor come upon his head, which meant that he would be a Nazarite. A Nazarite. This is what Samson had. The Nazarite vow that was placed upon him. The razor meaning he'd never have a haircut. And of course, having long hair for a man was a shame. But because no razor ever came on their head, that the shame of womanhood was upon them, but God would give them extra something to let all men know you don't mess with this guy. Just like Samson, he was the strongest man that ever lived. And Samuel was a, became one of the great leaders of Israel. So I'm just telling you how this Nazarite vow works. So she said that no razor will ever come on his head. And then I'm going to go a little further here. Uh, Eli, when he saw her, he rebuked her. He said, what are you doing in the, te- in the house of God here? And you are drinking and you... You know, and he saw her lips moving and everything when she was praying. And he got on to her and scolded her about it. And and so verse 17, then Eli, then she said, sir, I'm not doing this. Look at verse 13. Let me read 13 first. Now, Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she had been drunken. And then he got on to her about it. In verse 17, then Eli answered and said, go in peace. And the Lord of God, the God of of Israel rather grant thee the petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the, the woman went her way and did eat and her countenance was no more sad. You know why? Because that faith of God had come into her heart. She had petitioned to the Lord what she wanted. And she knew in that petition in that request that God was going to answer prayer. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something. There's something powerful about faith. Uh, Faith is not something you necessarily muster up, but you pray and you ask God about something or for something or to help you through something, and God can give you an assurance. It is just as real as though it, it had already happened, and I have had those experiences, and many of you have had those experiences. But that, it's that faith of God. You know everything is all right. Even though it's not all right, you know it's going to be all right. And in your own self and in your own heart, there is peace. And the Lord has put that there. And that all comes through faith. And when this woman walked away, she had that faith in God. God is going to take care of all of this. Now look at verse 20. I'm going to move on here. Wherefore it came to pass when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son and called his name Samuel saying because I have asked him of the Lord and then it went on to say here in verse 22 1 and 2 and the man he, well I'll just quote what it was he would go every year up to, the, up to Shiloh and with his other wife and they'd offer sacrifices but Hannah would not go and she said I'm not going to go until he is weaned and when he is weaned then I will take him to the house of God and I will give him to the Lord and this is what her plans were and then and so it goes on to say here verse 24 and when she had weaned him she took him up with her and with three bullocks and one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine and brought him into the house of God unto Shiloh and the child was young and they slew the bullock brought the child to Eli and she said O my lord as thy soul liveth my lord i am the woman that uh, stood by thee here praying unto the lord for this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I ask of him. Therefore also I have lent him. Now, I want you to notice this, folks. This, is touch, this touched my heart years ago. I spoke about it, have spoken about it before, and I am going to mention it to you again. But whenever she made the, the vow, she said, I will give him unto the Lord all the days of my life, in verse 11. I will give him to the Lord. But when she gets to verse 28, she said, Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. All of a sudden, forget the giving. She's going to lend him to God. She said, God, I'm going to give him to you. But when it came down to actually turning him over, she says, I'm going to loan him to you, Lord. Notice that? She said, and she she said, Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be. Lent or loaned, as we would say. He is as he shall be loaned to the Lord, and he worship that is Eli the priest, worship the Lord there. And so she turned this little child over to Eli the priest and said that I am going to now loan him to the Lord, but she would not give him. She would not give him because mothers don't give away their children. Now, I know there are situations where those things have happened. I'm aware of that. And I'm not going to deal with that. And that's some of you maybe have experienced or have been recipients of that kind of a situation. I don't know. And that's not what I'm here to talk about. But I am just saying that in the heart of a mother, she is not expected, not expected to give. And God never rebuked her. Because when she said, I will give him unto you, Lord, anything if you give him a child, and then when it came down to it, she only loaned him to the Lord. Because in the heart of a woman, she never gives away her children. She never gives away her children. Uh, years ago with my daughter, who's been married going on now 33 years. But when they, she had her wedding, and I was to bring her down the aisle, and the question was going to be asked, uh, who giveth this woman to be married to this man? Uh, I would say, I do. You know, I her father. You know, I her father. I think it's the right word here. Yeah. I her father, and my daughter and my wife says no. Today we say I and her mother. I her father and her mother. I said no. I her father give her away. And I fuss with them, and they fuss with me. I me. They laid down the law. Dad, this is my wedding. This has got it. You know, both of are against me. Well, then finally I, I catapulted and I said, all right. All right, I will say I and her. And during the whole first part of the wedding, they all were wondering if I was going to say it. I mean, those knew and everything. And I did. I said, I and her mother. give. But to be honest with you, that's not the original way it ever was because women don't give away their children. The men give her to another man. The man, the father, gives away his daughter to another man to take care of her, to look after her, to provide for her, to protect her, and so forth, and so forth. But he never, but she, the mother, never gives away. And if you don't believe it, you get around some of these mothers with these grandbabies and everything that's more important to them than anything in the world. It is, and that's the way it's supposed to be. But I'm sure you here that that's in the heart of a mother. And folks, there's nothing that's any more powerful than that. One of the greatest Vessels of giving is the, is the mother. Motherhood gives more than anything else. She gives, 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 and gives. But she don't give it away. <laughs> she don't give away her children. That's one thing she doesn't do. She doesn't give away her children. And so Hannah said, okay, Lord, I'm going to give him all to you. And I, she says, but I lend him to the Lord. And, of course, Eli worshipped. Now, one other scripture I'm going to read here in chapter 2 and over in verse 18. This is the final touch on it. It says, "But Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child, girded with a linen ephod." Now that means that he had a priestly clothes on. So Eli would put on Samuel when he was just a child this priestly clothes, priestly clothes, and said, "And, and it's because he was going to be, grow up to serve in the, in the in the temple in the house of God, it was Tabernacle then, as though he was a priest himself." Now. Priesthood had to come from Aaron. Samuel was from the house of Ephraim, which is Joseph's lineage. And uh, Aaron was the one who was from Levi, and uh, he was the father of all the priests. You had to be from that tribe to be in the priesthood and everything. But God saw that there was two sons, only two sons left that that were in the priesthood, and they were bad guys. Hophnon Phineas, And these guys were getting, they were getting worse and worse. And so the Lord was raising up this child. And Eli must have known something about that too. Especially when Samuel had some visitations from the Lord when he was a boy. And the Lord talked to him and spoke to him at night. And Eli said, if you hear that voice again, just say, Lord, thy servant hear it. And, 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 uh, and Samuel responded that way. But my point to you simply here is this is that uh, he was being trained as a priest. He was a substitute in the priesthood. He eventually went back to the sons of, of Aaron, but he was a substitute. Somebody asked me one time, he said, do you believe in women preachers? I said, no, but God uses substitutes. I think it's God's will to use men to preach the gospel, but men don't always respond. And God will use who will respond. And when there is a young lady or a woman who rise to the occasion and say, God, you can use me, God uses women. So don't come tell me God doesn't use women to preach the gospel because they are a substitute. Just like he used Samuel to take the place of Aaron's lineage because they had gone off the deep, off the wrong way. Uh, so likewise he, will he use women to preach the gospel. God bless you women. Praise the Lord. We appreciate you. And appreciate all of our mothers. Let me finish reading this one portion here. Verse 19 Moreover, his mother, I was talking about the linen ephod, moreover, his mother made him a little coat and brought it to him from year to year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. So every year when she came, she brought to Samuel a little coat that she had made for him, and I guess she did that for years and years. Now, look what happened. ...with this woman Hannah. Look at verse 20. And Eli blessed Elkanah and his wife... ...and said, the Lord give thee seed of this woman... ...for the loan which is lent to the Lord. He acknowledged that. And they went into their own home. In verse 21, and the Lord visited Hannah... ...so that she conceived and bare three sons and two daughters... So the Lord gave her five children after Samuel, and the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Uh, can anybody say quintuplets? <laughs> uh, there's many Bible scholars believe that this is what happened, that God gave her quintuplets when she went home. I'm gonna read that verse again. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bare three sons and two daughters. So I don't know. Some say, well, I'm not sure it's quintuplets. Others says well, it sounds like it is, so I'll leave it with you. Whatever you want to believe is fine. But I'm just saying, God will always reward. if he can use up, use us. And what happened was that this was a situation where Samuel was being prepared by God for the situations that were to come to pass. Uh, there's a message that our pastors preached about. Uh, Abraham being called upon by the Lord to offer his son Isaac for a sacrifice on Mount Moriah. And when he got into the part of the the sacrifice, the Lord called on him and said, No, Abraham, don't do that. I wanted to see if your heart was right and you're willing to do it and so forth. There's much more involved in that as well. But however, he untied him. And then he said he he saw a, a ram caught in the thickets and he offered the ram for a sacrifice unto the Lord. And the, and the message is that when Abraham and Isaac were coming up one side of the mountains, God was bringing a substitute for their sacrifice or, their, or their, the other sacrifice up on the other side. So here's a case where God, when he saw the condition of Israel failing, he was bringing Samuel from a baby and he started with a mother. He started with a woman who wanted to be a mother. You understand what I'm saying here, folks? It's amazing how God can start things, and he starts with the women. Hey, brother, think about it. He starts with the women. Praise the Lord. I mean, you, you know, take, uh, take uh, for instance, Jesus, and and take and, and, and John the Baptist. He started that whole thing with, with, the, with these two women, Elizabeth and Mary, you know. They were cousins, and uh, John the Baptist's mother and uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was, were first cousins. And so... He started with these women. They were to turn the world upside down. Jesus, we know what he did. But, they were, but he started with these two women. And the men didn't know anything, hardly what was going on. Joseph a little bit did, but that's about it. But what I'm trying to say, he starts with the women. God bless you women. God bless you mothers. You know, and here's why I'm saying all of this, is that motherhood is a greater thing than what the world wants to acknowledge. It is one of the most powerful offices. It probably is the most powerful office in the world. And the world will diminish it and make women feel like if you're not out someplace working and going at it and get climbing the ladder of success like some man, that you're not fulfilling your life. But I'm telling you here today, and I still go back to that, that God's way of using women, and they have something... Women have something special in them. I don't know what it is. I, I see it with my granddaughter. I've been with my granddaughter and my wife and I have been with, with Mickey and her children, uh, her baby brother, and here lately. Man, it's amazing. She can drive the car, uh, talk to the baby, uh, feed, give him a, bo- her a bottle. I mean, do all of this multiple tasks. I say, how can she do all this kind of stuff? She's, and, and then answer the phone, you know, or something. I don't know. <laughs> Women, they do this stuff. And, and me, I stay focused. I said, "Well, no, stay focused, stay focused. You know, I'm, I'm a real focused guy and everything. I, to me, it's just, you get on one thing and you stay with it, man, and you, you get through it, you know. And everything is that and everything. And boy, they're thinking of all kinds of things and they know everything about going on with that child. They know what he's saying, she's saying. I said, to me, she just jabbered away and she said, yeah, okay, mom, you'll do it. Mom, you'll take care of what I said. Oh, she was talking to mom. I didn't know that, you know. But I'm just trying to say there is, a, there is a gift that motherhood has about children that only mothers understand and guys will never fully understand it. We, we're told that. But I just want to say here that this is what women have. And so when Hannah said, Lord, I'm going to give him to the Lord, and then she said, no, no, really, I'm just going to loan him to you. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'm going to really just loan him to you. This is because that mothers are great mothers. Praise the Lord. And... Uh, I will, I will just move ahead very quickly here, and then I want to talk to you for a few minutes here about my own mother, whom I dearly loved with all my heart. Uh, these two sons of Eli, Hothna and Venus, they, they were just got to be real rascals. I mean, they did mean things, and they were terrible, and, and it seemed like they just were getting away with all kinds of things. Finally, war broke out between the Philistines and Israel and the Hophna and Phineas, the two, that's where Hophna was, one of them, Phineas was the other, they, uh, they got this bright idea that they would take the Ark of God out of the tabernacle and take it into battle with them and then they would have to win because God is on their side, God's with them. In other words, it was like saying, we're gonna make God be on our side because God's gonna protect the Ark so therefore he has to protect us, you know. And they went into battle, Hophna and Phineas were killed in the battle And the ark was captured by the Philistines. And when Eli heard about it, Eli fell over backwards and hit his head and died because the ark had been taken. Two sons of his died. We have no more priests, we have no more priesthood. And the ark's been taken, and Eli couldn't handle it. He fell over and hit his head and he died. And then here's Samuel, the little boy, growing up. And has become a young man now in Israel and he all of this falls on him, but he's ready for it because a mother had a desire to have a child and prayed unto God and asked God to grant it to her. Her desire, her strong desire to be a mother caused her to do that make that prayer and bring forth that son and that son became one of the great leaders of Israel. He would later, He would later anoint Saul to be king. He would later anoint David to be king. He would later become the prophet that kings never crossed. They would say, what does Samuel say? What does Samuel, what does, go ask Samuel. He was the prophet and he was the priest and so forth. And he would rebuke kings in a heartbeat. He rebuked Saul and told Saul what he was doing wrong. And everything Saul never said. How dare you talk to a king like that? No, no way he'd ever do that. And neither would David. Neither would David. David said one to one prophet. He says, you know, you're you're right, and I'm wrong, and so forth. But I'm telling you the power that God placed in this man Samuel because of a mother and her her love and her heart to him. So this woman here was is a real good example to us. And I've got about uh, 15 minutes here. I want to. Uh, talk to you a little bit about my own mother because I have such a deep appreciation as I mentioned here in the beginning of this uh, service uh, this is the first Mother's Day that I will not have her I used to tell my wife you're the second best mother in the world well honey today I got to tell you the best mother in the world because the the best mother's gone to me be with Jesus you know praise the Lord she was my mother and uh, and she was a great mother to me Uh, Mom was a a girl that grew up in a large family. In the summertime, she'd go visit her grandmother sometimes. She had a grandmother that was a widow woman that lived in a little town not too far, from Pensacola, lived in Niceville, Florida. And uh, she was a very unique person, her grandmother was. So she'd go there and spend a week or two with her grandmother in the summertime when school was out. And and her grandmother would say to her, Ruth, today we're gonna go pick blueberries and then we we're going to make a blueberry pie the next day or so. And she'd go to this little farm place where they'd pick blueberries. Somebody had planted it and passed away and left this blueberry farm. And people would just go there and pick blueberries whenever they were ripe, you know? And there were places like this they knew about, like a little fig farm, and they knew where the figs were, you know, and so forth. So her grandmother said, we're going to pick blueberries. They pick blueberries and take them back and, and back home. And that's what they'd do that day. The next day, she'd wake up, and her grandmother would say to her, Ruth, today we're going to go gopher pulling. Gopher pulling. Oh, this is what they did. They'd go out in the woods and find a gopher hole. They'd take, she'd take a vine, and she knew how to twist that thing down in that vine. And that gopher, somehow or another, get a hold of that vine, and she'd pull that gopher out. And she'd take that gopher home and put him in a little pen. And then in a few days later, she'd dress that thing out make food out of it. I'm telling you how people live, you know. And then the next day she'd say, all right, Ruth, today I've got to go mend nets. It was by a fishing it was a fishing village. And on a wharf there, they, these fishermen would come in where they'd been fishing all night and they'd hang these nets all up along the wharf. And she was the one who mended the nets. And she'd just go there. She had a little stool and she had all of her equipment. She kept right down there. And she had another little stool she'd take for my mother to sit on. And she'd say, all right, Ruth, you sit here. And Grandma's going to sit here and she'd mend all those holes because nets would get holes in them from fishing, you know. And she, they they'd, they'd earmarked it, they'd put a little yellow uh, tag on it, on all them spots, and she'd knit, knit all them things. And then she'd go away, and then at the end of the week, she'd get a check from those people who had pay, was paying her to mend those nets for her. And so she would do that. And, uh, and, and the next day, she'd say, okay. Today, we're going to go do something else, you know, and she always had something, and my mother just loved it, and she used to tell me, she said, son, if you think about it, there's always an answer at your, t- at your fingertips if you think about it. It's right there. You just got to be able to think about it. I remember one time, uh, you know, I didn't have anything to do. I was bored, I was, well, you know, how kids can get. And she said, come on, we're going we're to make a kite. I said, make a kite? There was no kite. Nobody was flying kites, but it was getting around February. Uh, some March, somewhere in there. And she said, we're going to make a kite. I said, you know how to make a kite? You know, a kite something you see in stores. When you save up enough money, you go buy one, right? And, uh, and so she said, no, oh, we're going to make one. So here's what she did. She took a butcher knife and a little hammer, and she went out, and she went along these posts, and she'd split a little bit and smell of it. I don't know, it's weird to me, smelling of that of the post. When she split it, she'd smell of the post inside. Oh, this is the one she said we want. And then she'd, she'd whack a, a splinter off of it. I said, why is this post different than the others, Mom? And she says, this is the lightest and the strongest wood there is. She said, this is juniper. And so she would, you know, will and she'd make that long strip, and then she'd cut it again and make, tight strips and they were strong but they were lightweight and then she'd put this string around it okay and then she got through and she laid it all out and then she took a newspaper just a plain old newspaper and put it down and put that that framework on that newspaper and trimmed around it about an about two inches away from the edge all the way around and then she said okay let's make the glue I said we're we gonna make the glue She yeah she took flour and water and whipped it up and made a paste out of it and pasted it along the edge there and bent it over and everything. And when it dried, it was just as hard as the hardest glue you could get. I mean, she knew how to do it. Nobody had gone to the store. Nobody had bought anything, you know, and everything. And she said, now we need some string. And I said, uh, Mom, I said, I don't, we don't know we have having the string. She says, uh, well, we got a little bit here. we made the framework and all, but she says, you know what? A number eight thread is just about as strong a string as you want to find. Now, how many of you women know that? You know that number eight? There are some of you older women. A number eight thread. So she hooked on a number eight spool of thread and says, when this spool runs out, you tie another spool. She's got to get two or three spools. And took me out and tied on some bold rags or something on the end of that thing. And that thing went up in the air and was flying in the air. And she said, now you got a kite. Now fly this kite. <laughs> that, was like how, that was out in the backyard in the field out behind us. And it was, it was amazing to me how that she just put on. Next thing I you know somebody else came out and they had a kite. And they started flying. And then somebody else did. Never think, but nobody wanted a bought kite. They all wanted to make them. And so they all started making kites. And they, you know, how would you make that? Well, we did this and that and everything like that. But I'm just trying to tell you here how that women and mothers can be so ingenious with things. It, it always amazed. And my, When the war came along, World War II, I was uh, six years old when World War II started. My dad went into the shipyard business. And sometimes they would move him around different places. We lived in Pensacola. He'd have to go to Mobile or Pascagoula, Mississippi, or Panama City, Florida, or Jacksonville. A couple of times he had to go up to D- Duluth and Superior, Wisconsin, things like that. So he would say to me, he'd say, son, take care of your mother now. You know, and I, and I had, a, older, I had a, a sister younger than me, and then I had a brother and sister that was five years younger than us together. We were a year and a half apart. And he said, now take care of your, fa- your mother and help her with your brother. And I said, okay, dad. And I felt that responsibility. And my mother would say to you, now you're my little man, okay? And boy, I had to take on that role, you know? And I felt a real sense of responsibility and everything. It was my job, you know, to go down to the store and get, you know, that two-gallon can of kerosene and put it in the stove so there'd always be fuel in the stove for that kerosene stove we had. I'm going way back, folks. You got to understand, I'll be 82 years old next couple of months. You know, I'll, I'll go way back. And, and that's what we had back then, and some of you folks can relate to all of this. But we just made we just made things happen, you know, and everything. And uh, I remember we wanted to make toys, and uh, we didn't didn't. So we took a board and put it down, and took a saw, and got up on the board and cut cut the the, the thing out. We wanted to make uh, guns, and we put rubber bands on them and shoot them, you know, with clothespins. You ever have that, you know? and we'd shoot rubber bands at each other, or inner, inner tube, take an inner tube and cut it, make circles out of them, and use those, you know. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And, and we'd make those things, and we had to cut those little guns out, Look, you know, thing, we'd cut them out of wood, and everything, but we made everything, we just made everything, and my mother would teach us how to do those things, and she'd learn, you know, to teach us how to make things and put things together. And uh, during those war years, my dad would be gone, and he'd say, now, son, you take care of everything and look after everything. And so it was my job to make sure it was all done. Sometimes they'd have wash day. And my aunt and my mother and, uh, and my grandmother sometimes would all wash clothes together. So we I mean, were all living in the same neighborhood. And they had a big old wash pot, big old wash pot outside. Any of you remember, remember that kind of stuff? Well, there's a few hands there. A big old wash pot and they'd put them wash clothes in that wash pot and put a build, I had to build a fire under it, you know, because I had to be, the, you know, that would be the little the man, you know. And I'd build that fire under there, you know, and they'd chop up some soap in there and boil that stuff and put them clothes and stir it around and boil them. And then they'd pull them out after a while with a stick, you know, a big heavy-duty stick, and they'd put it in a tub of water, hot water, and then they would have a scrub board. Or just put them in the tub, I guess. And they'd scrub that stuff, you know, and scrub it out. And they'd go through a process of them things. Later on, the ringer washing machine came out. Well, what a blessing that was. <laughs> uh, you know. But before that, they, they'd scrub and scrub and put them in the water. Then you you, you run them out like this, you know. They, and I've seen my mother do all that stuff. Kind of, and happy with it all. It's just life. It's just the way things were, you know. It, nothing was ever a problem. And they'd wash clothes on Monday was always a wash day, you know. And my grandmother used to say something about it. Somebody had a big wash, washing out on the line. She said, they're either the cleanest folks in town or the dirtiest in town. I don't know which. <laughs> but that was just women talking, you know, about the women. But that's what you did on, uh, you, then they hung them out on the line and they stayed out all afternoon and they dried. And then that evening before it got too late, damp or something, they'd bring them all in. And the next day on Tuesday was ironing day, you know, ironing day and everything. And I'm just saying all of that because moms are just such wonderful people in so many ways that it's amazing to me. Uh, My uh, dad brought a cow home one day and said, said, okay, we're gonna have milk, fresh milk and butter and all that stuff, you know? So uh, my mom, she had learned to milk the cow. I guess she knew how she milked the cow. And I learned how to churn the butter and all that kind of stuff. Take the cow in and out and so forth. But you also had to feed them, besides just letting them graze, you had to buy feed. And they had it so that if you bought a a bag of feed, it had a nice piece of cloth It was in a bag. The bag was a colorful cloth, it was nice. And women would take them and make dresses and clothes out of them, you know. So one day she said, son, I have made you a beautiful shirt. (laughs) And I looked at it and it was one of the it looked like a man's shirt, like little cowboys all over it and things like that. And I said, oh, okay, Mom, you know, I made out of one of those feed sacks. Okay, fine. And it fit like it was good. She's a good seamstress, you know. And I went off to school. And a guy recognized it. One of my buddies, and he says, Yeah, I saw that, I saw that feed sack down down the store, or something like that. He knew about it or his his, his mother done the same thing or something. I don't know, but he made some comment, and I just felt so bad. I felt so bad, and I went home. and It was, and it was. We were there early, and I went home. and School had been ta- was taken in, but I went home, and I said, "Mom, I said that guy made fun of my shirt. I don't want to wear it." And she looked at me, and looked at my shirt, and she said, "Okay, son, go in there and take it off and put another shirt on." But I saw an expression in her face. And I knew it hurt her. You know? I said, nope. I'm going to leave it on. And if that guy said one more word, I'm going to sock him in the nose. Right? That's right. Nope. Because I knew it would hurt my mother if I changed shirts. She'd gone to all that work and picked out that that feed sack bag of food that of feed for that cow just so she could get that particular material that's what she had thought all that through and everything and then I didn't like to wear it and then she said okay go in there and pick out one but I saw that expression in her face and you know children see that they, they, they know how you think they know how you feel and I uh, went back to school and I sort of got next to that guy bumped his shoulders with him ready for just dared him to say one word you know everything <laughs> And uh, I said, do you uh, you want to say something about my shirt now? He said, no, to be honest with you, I really like it. He said, I think it's a very, very nice shirt. And that was okay then. And so when I got home, my mom said, did you see that guy? I said, yeah. He said he liked my shirt. It was okay. From that time on, it was one of my favorite shirts that I had, you know. But I'm just telling you how all those things come around and all those things develop and everything. And uh, I... uh, I remember when I turned 17 years old, I turned 17 in July and then in August, uh, the next month, I went off to Bible school in St. Paul, Minnesota, just turning 17 years old. Now, you can say what you want to, but there's a balance, especially with mothers, about how much do you let them go and how much do you hold them back. You don't want them to go too early, too quick, and yet you don't want to hold them back when it's time for them to go. You know, when are they? You know, the teenage years is sort of a in-between childhood and adulthood, and everything. And uh, I knew my mom was in that era, that level, and I had prayed, and God had dealt with me about going, you know, going about preaching the gospel. I had a definite calling. I had three confirmations to it, and the Lord had even impressed me what Bible school to go to, and I was going to, and I was getting all set to go, and and so forth. And uh, my dad told my mom, said, well, when he was born, I dedicated him to the Lord. So don't worry about it. If God has called him, the Lord will keep his hand on him. So my mother said, well, all right. They had talked about all this among themselves. But I'll never forget I got on that bus in Tampa, Florida to go off to Bible school. And she had given me two shoeboxes. One had boiled eggs, boiled potatoes, and cookies, and the you other know, I forgot. She says, you know, if you get hungry, eat these, you know. And I had, you know, the money in my pocket. I had tuition money and boom and board money and so forth, and everything. But she just wanted to make sure I didn't go hungry, you know, even on the bus. And folks, it was a, it was two days and two nights on a bus, steady at it. I travel. It didn't travel by plane. It didn't travel even by train. I mean, that was really high cotton. It went on a bus, you know and everything and I never will forget I got on that bus and I sat by the window and I looked out the window and she walked alongside that bus holding her hand and that facial expression that she had of being concerned yet full of love and saying it's time to let him go I'll never forget it as long as I live and when things got tough I said, I can't fail my mom because she let me go and said, God will take care of him. And I'm letting him go even though it hurts to let him go. S- excuse me. That was one expression I'll never forget as long as I live. And I was only 17 then. There's one other expression, facial expression. I'm going to leave this one with you. And that was one I had a year and a half ago from her. But I had just gone to sleep in, in, my, in my, at home in my bed a year and a half ago. Just gone off to sleep and I'd been thinking about my mother knowing it was, you know, she, she died just this past February. And uh, she, you know, it was, it was 98, just within a couple of days of being 98. And uh, this was when she like maybe 96, maybe 96 or 90, whatever. and. Uh, I, I remember in the, the dream that I went to sleep and I was in a group of people, just a group of people and there was two double doors right there and I was standing around and just waiting and, and I didn't know a lot of the people around me and, uh, and I, saw, I saw this uh, man with his arm like this uh, and, a, and an older woman, elderly woman in his arm walking toward those double doors. And uh, I just, in my mind, I thought there's an elderly woman holding to a man that's taking him, that's going to take her through those doors. And then I looked at the woman and she was looking at me and it was my mother. She was looking at me, holding that man's arm like an usher and had the most beautiful smile I'd ever seen in my life. And I said, all of a sudden, I realized this older lady is my mother. And, and she's fixing to go right past me here. There's like maybe two couple of people in between us here. And I said, she's going to go. And, and I said, Mom? And she just smiled and kept looking at me. Smiling, I mean, the most beautiful smile. She said, I said, Mom? But she never came my way. It said, oh, there's Ellis. Or, hey, you come over here. Or nothing. She just kept walking, looking at me, smiling, holding on, and the guy holding her arm did not look at me. He was taking her, going through the doors, and his mind was on the doors, getting her through the doors and everything, and she just, she just smiled and looked at me, and in that smile, I got the feeling. She was saying, it's all over with. I can't do any more for you. you gotta. I'll see you on the other side. I felt that. I got to go through those doors now, but all is well. I am happy. And now you're on your own. Can't do any more for you. Amen. That's right. That's, that, was a, that was a dream I, I really believe God gave me and everything. And then and as she's going through the door, I was saying, and then suddenly I woke up and I realized that I was dreaming. But I'll never forget that look on her face, how happy she was. When she knew that she was going through the doors of heaven and she's going to see Jesus. (laughs) Amen. Folks, I'm telling you, this life is worth living. Believe me, it is. Could you stand with me together and let's just lift our hands and pray and let's worship God. And let's thank him right now together. Jesus, we love you so much. You're so very good to us. You're so good to your people. Oh, Lord, we thank you for Mother's Day. God bless all the mothers here today. God bless all the ladies here today. Oh, Lord, we glorify you, Jesus. We thank you and magnify you, Lord. You're so good to all of us. We praise you and we worship you and we glorify you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.